it's like twice the size of this room. It's full of people, American, Japanese, German, and it was just silent. And you order by sign language, you say thank you, you say this is one of the tea. And I just realized, wow, you can do business and good at the same time. You don't need, need to be this charge on making money, which is what I was just used to um, for 29 years. Um, and um, I left and I said, right, I'm gonna set up a silent tea house in Clapham, London. Um, and then I realized I don't like tea. I hate Clapham. <laughs> I don't, I don't really like silence. Um, I can't take this business plan to my back manager and he's going he's gonna to laugh me out of the room. Um, and um, that's how the idea started, really. I used to rent my properties to people that were homeless, food councils. I then thought, actually, we can, we, if we were providing jobs at the same time, I can do the housing part. If we were giving jobs to people, then that's a way of directly lifting people out of homelessness. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 179 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I welcome my good friend, Jamal Easel, founder and CEO of Change Please, UK Social Entrepreneur of the Year, Richard Branson's Startup of the Year 2018, Shivers Venture Winner 2018, and the man responsible for the coffee you're drinking on board a Virgin train or a Virgin plane. Now, I had the pleasure of catching up with Jamal twice in one week back in October. He kindly spoke at my annual Entrepreneur Summit in Bournemouth for the second year running, as well as at the SME Forum for British American Business at Deloitte's offices in London, where I was hosting their quarterly event for businesses looking to scale in the US. Now, I've known Jamal for four years now, and the growth of his business in that time has been nothing short of phenomenal. I last interviewed him two years ago, back in 2017, and other than Piers Linney, this is the only repeat guest that I've had on the show. Why? Number one, because my 2017 chat was, and still is, my personal favorite of every episode that's ever been on the show. Secondly, I wanted to highlight what's possible, i.e. anything. If you're super focused, you persevere, and you're very clear on your why. Thirdly, it's just one hell of a story. Change Please trains people who are homeless as baristas and provides each person with a London living wage job, housing, bank account, and mental health support. 
Today's episode comes in two different parts. First, my chat with Jamal is first in front of our live audience, complete with me rustling a few papers. Secondly, an up-to-date presentation by Jamal on their expansion into the US and the challenges that they faced. So this is really relevant if you've got a business that is looking to scale up, to grow, to move into the US and hear from somebody who's doing it and the challenges that they're facing. So we talk about a whole bunch of things, obviously, um, including the perception that needs changing around social businesses, distribution being the biggest challenge and the currency of the future. Startup. A couple of months ago, you were on stage with Richard Branson in LA. Um, but just give people like, a timeline and find out a little bit of the journey of Change Please and where it started. Um, just tell us a little bit, very briefly, when, back to the beginning, like you were traveling in Asia when you happened to sit next to an American on a coach journey. Yeah. And what absolutely. did he say to you? So he, it was an 18 hour bus journey. They love their long journeys in Vietnam, their coach journeys. and. I was asleep, it was two o'clock in the morning whilst pretending to be so I was exhausted. Didn't want to chat to this guy that just jumped on the last seat that was available. He was chatting to me. Um, he said, look, I was a commodity trader at the time. He said, if you're not happy with your job and what you're doing, you should do the rocking chair test. So that's to imagine sitting in your rocking chair at the age of 90, looking back on your life. Um, that's the last thing you want to do at two o'clock in the morning when you're exhausted. <laughs> right? um, looking back on your life thinking, what have you achieved? What's your legacy on the world? Have you left the world in a better place? And who's gonna remember you and for what? And I just remember thinking that if that bus crashed at that point, the only people that probably remember me would be, you know, my family, my parents, my immediate friends, my bank manager, and probably my insurance broker who had to fill up the claim form. That would all, that, that's the only legacy I would have left on this world. Um, and I, yeah, I went from being asleep to bolt awake, thinking about actually, what's all this life thing about? What's it all for? What's the purpose of it? And a couple of weeks later, I was still in Vietnam, um, went to this silent tea house in a place called Hoi An, um, which is a tea house that's run by deaf and mute ladies who didn't have any other opportunities in that village. They just came together, created this stunning tea, um, have you been? You know, amazing. I, yeah. Um, it's like twice the size of this room, it's full of people, American, Japanese, German, and it was just silent. And you order by sign language, you say thank you, you say this is my tea. And I just realised, wow, you can do business and good at the same time. You don't need need to be this charge on making money, which is what I was just used to um, for 29 years. Um, and um, I left and I said, right, I'm gonna set up a silent tea house in Clapham, London. Um, and then I realized I don't like tea. I hate Clapham. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really like silence. Um, I can't take this business plan to my bank manager and he's gonna, he's gonna laugh me out of the room. Um, and um, that's how the idea started really. I used to rent my properties to people that were homeless through councils. I then thought, actually, we can, we put, if we were providing jobs at the same time, I can do the housing part. If we were giving jobs to people, then that's a way of directly lifting people out of homelessness. And that was 24th of April, 2013. And however many years later, it's like, you know, an international basis, which is great. So that's essentially a failure from the original business idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when he came up with that idea, at that point in time, how far into the future could you envisage like internationally nationally what, what did that vision look like compared to what it's like today some what six years on 
yeah, I mean, it was just a case of having four or five shops. It was trying to help me essentially rebalance my karma. You know, my biggest fear in life is to have regret. Um, I can't remember what book it was, but they interviewed people in, a range of people in old, old people's homes. And the biggest thing that they all felt, common feeling, was regret for the things that they couldn't achieve. And that was, that's my biggest fear, yeah. to look back on your life and realise that I just got sucked into this race of having assets and money and so on and so forth. And actually, I got to that point where I had all those things and it still you still felt empty. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a case of um, just being able to rebalance some of that karma and do good and feel good about myself. So I look back and my family, without sounding too cheesy, just like my family and friends would be proud of something that I created, but then it just really snowballed. And then you just get taken away by that growth. And then you see the pain that uh, people are in. And that isn't just on a local basis, but across the UK. And then you realize that's in Australia, it's in the US. And unfortunately in the US, it's an amazing market, huge opportunity, but healthcare is a massive challenge. Yeah. Um, and in the UK, there's a lot of empathy around homelessness. In the UK, there isn't much. Um, and um, we, in, the U in Australia, for example, we're focusing on 16 to 25 year olds that are homeless. Um, in the US, we're focusing just on women and children that are homeless um, because it's a huge problem around um, healthcare um, when partners separate, mostly those insurance policies are in the man's name. The, 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 the lady has to also look after the children and need to get healthcare policies to look after the children as well. And it's, it's incredibly expensive, childcare is massively expensive. So mm -hmm. we're opening coffee bars where the coffee um, shop will employ people who are female homeless, then, and there'll also be um, kind of daycare centers for uh, wow. the children who are being looked, over, um, looked after in that, in that um, Look, uh, looking after the children who, of the pair of the mothers that are working in that space at the same time. Yeah. So it's really tailoring that approach country by country because we see that problem growing mm. in every country that we focus in. And um, what's been the most challenging part of the journey? Was it startup phase, growth phase, or now you're kind of looking to scale up essentially? Because you opened in Australia this year as well, yeah. is that right? And then America this year as well. So what, what's been, I mean, I'm guessing there's been challenges all along the way, but we're, What's the most difficult bit been so far, do you think? I think um, all, all of it really, but the, the, the most, the common thread is the perception that you, people have around social business and the quality of the product um, being compromised because of that social element. So mm. we're the only product in Sainsbury's that has won a great taste award. When we met the CEO of Virgin Atlantic, the first thing he said was, you know, this is great, but does it taste good? You know, it's all, and, it. and there's always, there's <laughs> always that perception around um, social business and actually um, you know it's it tastes phenomenal and it does good and it, there should be no compromise we saved Virgin Atlantic nearly kind of 15% on the coffee we sell oh. to them so it, same with Virgin Trains the sales have increased by nearly 20% 19% so it, it helps commercially but it also does great from a brand development a halo effect mm. the biggest personal challenge for me is you start off as a, as a social entrepreneur as an entrepreneur and then you develop very quickly into a CEO. So the skill sets you need as a, as a social entrepreneur are completely different to that of a CEO. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really anyone teaching you along that way of how you develop the skill sets required and the qualities required along that, along that journey. So that has been a big learning curve. And now the focus is more around how to manage the different teams on a regular basis. So my skill set is very much new business development, growth of the organization, having an idea, delivering an idea. Mm -hmm. But now we need, now I need, I've developed that skill set of 
you know, managing the teams in Australia, in Paris, in, far, in, in Milan, in London and Ireland, just so that they're all in sync with each other. Um, and that's a skill set which I've never had before. And the patience that I've never really had, that I've had to develop to try and make sure the business is all moving in the same direction. And, and I'll open this up to the room, but um, just to kind of link in, when you were looking at the US, um, geography-wise, what was that thinking behind where, where you've ended up? Because it's like, yeah, close your eyes and <laughs> yeah, yeah. pick a spot. Yeah. What so, were you thinking? So initially it was New York because it's um, a huge problem of homelessness. Um, then, this is the problem of being an entrepreneur, you are very opportunistic with things that pop up. Um, then we're, we're funded by an organisation called Bearings, um, who fund a lot of the capex of the sites that we open. Um, and their HQ is in Charlotte. So they said to us that we'll give you a lot of money if you open in Charlotte. Um, the, HQ of, <laughs> um, the HQ of Compass, which is the biggest um, catering company in the US that we supply a lot of the sites in the UK for, are in Charlotte as well. So that was a great opportunity. Um, and then they said that we want, we want you to open in the Met Museum and MoMA Museums, Bank of America, and we will roll you out on those particular sites. So, so that's been part of the challenge of where to open first. Then Virgin Atlantic came along, uh, flights into LA, San Francisco, all fantastic. But the big opportunity has been with the Benioff family pretty much saying, here's a blank checkbook, just we want to solve homelessness. Tell us how we can do it and we'll fund you to do it. Um, so that's why San Francisco has been a massive focus for us in the last four or five months. Um, and that's been um, why we've been putting a lot of energy into the into the West Coast. Oh, wow. Um, and what we do is, is a full life intervention. It's everything from um, getting the referrals from big charities like Crisis, Centrepoint, Big Issues, person does a month's training where we see if they're suitable. We provide a living wage job, housing in 10 days, a bank account. Probably the most important part is the therapy support to really tackle the underlying root problem of why that person became homeless, whether it's if they were a victim of domestic abuse or a military veteran or came out of prison. And those root issues are the things that we try and get to the, get to the bottom of. Um, and we also do everything from where the beans come from. We support farmers in Peru that support women who are victims of domestic abuse. Or the farm in Tanzania that supports landmine victims. Only use cups that are made out of plants, not plastic, and our waste coffee grounds are converted into biofuel. So we started off with um, the coffee and, and, and um, coffee vans. Now we supply Virgin Trains nationwide. Richard Branson's connected us to Virgin Trains in the US, Virgin Hotels in the US. Um, we supply Virgin Atlantic um, on all their coffee on board with the ambition of it being the best tasting coffee anywhere in the air, sorry, Nadia. Um, <laughs> and um, it's been incredibly popular in terms of the feedback, in terms of the impact it has. And it changes the dynamic because you normally will leave a plane where it gives you that kind of message around, if you've got a spare change, please put it into the bag when someone's going to walk through. No one ever puts their spare change because you spent it duty-free previously. And you're left with a feeling of guilt and now you're, the message is around, you might not have known this, but the coffee that you've been drinking on board has been going to help people that are homeless in London, Manchester, New York, Seattle, LA. And that's changes that emotion to a sense of pride that you've been flying Virgin Atlantic. So um, our, we've really grown um, across the UK. We've opened now uh, nearly 45 sites, now in Dublin, across Europe in Paris, uh, Brussels, Milan, just opened our third site in Australia last month. Um, and now a big focus for us is in the US, 
Um, and the way that focus is developing is firstly the supply of coffee where we're importing the coffee roasted in the UK over to the US because the cost of production here is a lot cheaper, but also the exchange rate at the moment is wonderful. Um, <laughs> and um, also supplying a whole range of corporate partners like UBS, uh, Bank of New York, AstraZeneca's. Um, we're going to be reworks coffee, well, we reworks coffee partner in the UK, in Australia, in um, South across Europe, and also it's going to be in the US as well. So um, we're importing coffee we're exporting coffee to the US we're going to be then producing coffee in the US we set up a charity in Delaware and we set up a um, a normal LLC in Delaware as well um, and what I'm going to share with you is a breakdown of all of the, the free pro bono incredible amounts of pro bono support we've had from Latham and Watkins the world's biggest law firm KPMG sorry uh, Deloitte people <laughs> yeah, we are actually at Deloitte um, uh, One Million Futures uh, partner, so we've got a lot of funding from you, thank you very much. But this information was from KPMG and elsewhere. And um, um, it's all information that we would have to have to have paid, you know, hundreds of thousands for, which they've just given us because they wanted to support us. So I'd like to share that with you and my notes. And they're very much SME focused um, as opposed to kind of larger organisations. But for, the first thing for us was about registration. We set up in um, in Delaware, um, and that's purely because of a lot of tax advantages. Um, you don't have to pay state uh, tax, um, but you do have to pay your franchise tax, which, which is far, far less. Um, and it's the only other state that compares is Nevada. Um, so that's uh, great information. Um, if you register in Delaware but sell your products in other states across the US, then be really careful about the rules in that state because you might still have to re-register or incorporate in that state as well. And that's a big challenge that we didn't really realise because we're registered in Delaware, we roast, going to roast in Indianapolis, roast in California, and then, but also have coffee bars in a range of states. Um, so we're now looking at having separate entities as well within, within the US. Um, you don't also need to have a resident directorship. So you can have, be just 100% non-US directors. So in, the, in Australia, that's different. You need to have at least one resident director, but in the US, you don't need that. Um, and um, it can be 100% owned by a non-national as well. And it can just be one shareholder, which is slightly different in different, uh, in different countries that we operate in. Um, but that was really interesting because it really reduces the barriers to entry compared to other countries. Um, if you're dormant, um, unlike the UK, it's a really simple process just to file a dormant account. But in the US, you have to still file um, uh, full-on tax returns. So that's a big issue that KPMG told us that they see in a lot of the companies that register in the US. They just register, they set it up, they're not really essentially ready to trade and then they get into trouble later when they're filing their returns on time um, even though they're not trading. So that was a big challenge that they see on a regular basis. And we had a UK and then a trademark. We widened that to, the US, uh, to uh, Europe um, and now we've extended our trademark to the US um, as well, and one of the big issues that we learned was you can't necessarily register a name in the US. You have to register an identity and a brand, um, and then turn that into a trademark. That's a real key way of protecting your um, organisation um, as much as possible. And we used a company called Coolies to do that for us, um, who are an amazing law firm that uh, registered that, and that means that your trademark will then be federal across the whole of the US, which is um, something that we didn't realise. Uh, so when we registered, we had our entity set up. We were Im importing coffee uh, into 
um, Baltimore, New York, um, uh, into LA, uh, Long Beach, um, and into Tacoma. So four different um, uh, sites and ports. Um, and then uh, what we decided to do is actually start working with a range of different sales agents to then distribute that coffee to our partners. So those distributors would then um, take our product and then sell that to a range of organizations. Now we've brought that in-house, which means that we're not, we're, we're not able to kind of pass any liabilities onto those distributors or, or those agents. We are taking full liability for the whole supply chain. Um, and that's something that Latham Watkins really helped us with because um, obviously the US is an incredibly litigious company, a country, so we really have to make sure that across the full supply chain, even stretching back to our roasting partners in the UK, the full supply chain was protected um, as opposed to us being able to roast in the UK, give liability over to the JV partner or the sales dis the distributor in the US and let them take liability from that point. Um, and really, Latham Watkins, Watkins helped us to essentially draw a clean line with those distribution points to make sure that when we then passed over our product, they would take that responsibility and that JV contract really helped with that. Now we're doing the full shebang, it's really difficult to kind of make sure that um, we're protected across the whole, um, the, whole, the whole supply chain. So the, the main thing that we were told was to make sure you get an amazing or a good lawyer, accountant and an insurance broker. Um, that's something that we uh, did straight from the beginning. Um, and they also said make sure that you see the US as 50 separate states. Um, it isn't, you know, the, the rules and the, um, the way it's seen and the, and the regulations in each different state is going to be completely different. Um, it's not the same as the UK, obviously. Um, look at your competition and see what, um, where your product actually fits. Um, they also advise us not to use UK Google. So don't go into your UK kind of internet Google and just type in your questions, change your IP and VPN to a US Google account so that you um, uh, then get local searches and local results. I mean, e even you can change the IP address to be statewide, so then you get specific search recommendations which aren't being corrupted by what you're seeing from a UK bubble, if that makes sense, or from a New York bubble, it's actually looking at information that you need in, um, in California, for example. Um, and business insurance we found to be incredibly expensive. Like, you know, if, if it's so litigious, then you really need to make sure that you're protected along the full supply chain. Um, so for us, the biggest challenge was distribution. We're supplying into four different ports and that's trying to get it as local as we can. We were supplying clients in San Francisco, in LA, New York, Charlotte. So having central distribution points where that coffee can then come into and then be distributed in those cities was absolutely fundamental to our growth. We haven't been able to, kind of, we would, there'd be no way we could do that. In the UK, we roast in one area and it's shipped across the country. But in the US, that distribution point is incredibly vital for us. Um, getting our staff to be able to work in the US was quite difficult. So um, you mentioned visas. The way we've done it is by getting H1B visas and um, sponsoring our staff. But then that proved to be quite difficult. Everybody needed to have a baccalaureate. Um, they needed to be earning a minimum of around $60,000, um, which was a challenge. Um, and um, it needed to kind of really prove um, that they were trading from an entity. It can't be a virtual address. It can't be, um, you know, w even a WeWork was slightly challenging. It had to be actual physical address to prove that you're actually trading in that location. Um, and that meant that we needed to kind of 
really um, develop, or use a law firm basically to kind of develop those relationships for us. Um, setting up a bank account was super tricky um, because you don't have a trading history in the US. So we went to HSBC um, and also Citibank. We had relationships with them in the UK and they used our UK trading history to be able to leverage that as an experience then open in the US, which allowed us to kind of fast track everything that we were doing. Um, but going to the Bank of New York, et cetera, was, was a massive challenge because they just, you know, they don't know who we were as individuals. Um, so that, that was really important. And when we took out insurance, we, we got everything from a general liability, a product liability, business property insurance, directors and officers liability, employees practice, practices liability, intellectual property infringement, professional liability, and workers' compensation. That was all separate packages that we had to, to um, take out. Um, it was incredibly expensive, but you know, it was what we needed to do. And um, you can be sued across the whole supply chain. Um, it's not just... Um, Is that for experience or...? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Theoretically, you can be... Apparently so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, told um, so taking out all those insurance was vital. That's what they, that's what they told us when they were selling us the package. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, and if you need support on packaging regulations, you can get that from the FDA website. So we're product-based, we're not service-based. So that was a big issue for us, making sure that everything that we're saying, the labelling is correct and it's federal-wide. Um, and it's also state compliant at the same time. Um, and then finally, from a taxation perspective, um, again, it was super difficult. So we sold, we have physical stores. Um, we sold online across the US as well. So we were selling across the US, but then having separate, separate distribution points. So then separate state taxes in each area that we we're selling into was incredibly interesting. Um, the employment of the staff in different areas had different requirements from how we employed them, the kind of the termination contracts, the secrecy, the union powers that we had in each state. All of these were things that we didn't realise. Non-compete laws um, were massive challenges that we um, learned as we went on. Um, so it's been a massive journey for us and this has basically been in the last six to eight months that we've been really focusing in the US market. Virgin Atlantic's allowing us to um, have a focus on the routes and hubs that they sell into or they, they um, land into. So we're using those as points where we're going to be launching new sites and new coffee bars. So it really gives us a focus of where we're going to be moving to in the future. Um, and it allows us to make a difference to people who are homeless all across the US, essentially. Um, so it's the start of our journey. Um, and where, um, where we are now is kind of a very, I'd say 1% of our potential journey across the US. And uh, they mentioned Will I Am. We mentioned Will I Am in that video, and they've been incredible for us. You know, it's um, getting direct relationships into influencers in LA, but also the Benioff family are supporting us in San Francisco to be able to have direct impact in San Francisco from um, them funding us our full capex, all of our needs to kind of have a direct impact in San Francisco, and, and uh, Salesforce are putting a lot of energy behind our brand, which is really exciting. So that means we need to be on top of all these things. Um, so that's our story. Um, if you guys got any questions or any ideas or tips you want to share with us, then please feel free. Yeah, um, that's great. When's the album coming out of Will I Am then? That's what we all really want to know. Yeah, it was actually quite embarrassing. He, um, at the end of that video, he, he said, I salute you for everything you do. And I was like, 
what do I do? Do I fist bump you? Do I? <laughs> and then I was like, I salute you back. And I got absolutely hammered from all my team just doing that to me. That but um, yeah, they've been incredibly beneficial to us. So before diving into my takeaways from my chat with Jamal and indeed his uh, presentation there as well, um, I just wanted to let you know that this week I have decided to create um, my first podcast course and I wanted to let you know about it. So um, if you are interested, then just drop me a message at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, um, at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. So a whole bunch of different ways you can let me know. Um, but basically, look, after four successful top 20 podcast launches for um, four different brands uh, last month in October, I've been thinking how I can make podcasting affordable to solopreneurs, those starting up, those who don't have a big budget or marketing department to help them. So hence why I decided to create my first podcast course. And I realized I can't scale up what I've learned by only helping people with podcasting on a one-to-one -one basis. So whilst I'm still going to be working with brands one-to-one, -one, I'm really keen to explore the one-to-many route as well and help as many people experience the, the sheer joy of creating their own podcast that, that I've had and the satisfaction that comes from growing your own community, getting your first top 20 ranked show and then monetizing your podcasting passion. So this course is going to include, include weekly live Q&As with me um, as I work with you week by week on getting your podcast live. And I'm going to share everything, absolutely everything that I've learned in getting my Screw It, Just Do It podcast, this podcast you're listening to, to ranking number one in the world, everywhere from the UK to Uganda, um, and downloaded in over 130 countries. So I'm doing this with help from um, two people from Antler, um, a global startup generator, which um, I'm proud to say I'm an advisor. So that's Charlotte um, and Alfonso. Um, they're building the platform, the um, audio learning app that this is going to be available from. So the latest technology. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to sharing this with you. Um, and I'm, it's going to be limited. This is essentially going to be uh, the first iteration. Um, we're going to create it together. We're even going to create the last episode. You're going to choose um, what the most popular thing you'd like to know about podcasting is. And if I haven't already done it, we're going to create that episode together. Um, as I say, weekly uh, Q&As with me on a live webinar. You can ask me absolutely anything and everything as you're learning. So this is going to be limited. It's also for that very fact, I'm going to reduce it by 50% uh, of the cost. Um, to, to get feedback from you, that's why I'm doing this. I, I want to know um, what you want to know, essentially, when it comes to creating your own podcast. Um, so as I say, at Alex Chisnell via LinkedIn, at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram or Alex at screwitjustdoit.org if you want to resort to email. Just let me know of your interest and I'll be sure to make sure that you are among the first to know. Um, and finally, just to, to finish up, um, love Jamal, love his business. It's truly amazing. Um, and I totally subscribe to, to, you know, what he's doing is incredible. And 100% that the perceptions 
around social businesses need to change. You know, this business is a multi-million pound business. It's changing lives. Um, they're giving all of their profits um, to the charity to help people. And they can now see so many other ways that they can help people, not just through coffee, but through many other things because of the corporate partners that they developed and everybody wants to have a story to be able to tell a narrative that engages people and tells a story of that business. Hence why I think podcasting is obviously such a great medium to do that. But as he says, it will be the currency of the future. The social impact that you have by, by being affiliated to something like this and being able to tell that story through your own business. Um, and really interesting, you know, hearing all the different challenges of which there are many clearly in being able to scale your business in the US, but distribution being his biggest challenge um, and where you choose when going to a country such as the US and, and choose, you know, deciding to treat every state as a different entity or 50 plus states as a different entity. So um, for those of you thinking of doing the same, I hope you've enjoyed that episode. I hope you've been able to take on board some of the challenges that Jamal has been able to relate to them. Um, be forewarned if that's something that you're looking into doing. And again, an organization like British American Business that, again, I'm proud to be affiliated with um, is, is a massive help in doing that because they've been there, they've done it, they've helped thousands of people scale in the US. Um, so again, do get in touch um, if you would like their help or if you'd like to attend one of these talks. They are free. Um, I'm doing the next one next week on the 11th. Um, I believe there are a couple of spaces available, but only a couple. And that was a few days ago, last week even. So um, again, get in touch with them directly, British American Business. Um, and hope to see you at one of their events very soon. Thank you so much for your time. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. <laughs>